0: 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Live, online, the 702 app, DSTV channel 856, 92.7 and 106FM.
1: Coming up on the show today, the July unrest instigator Mdumiseni Zuma gets 12 years behind bars. Two of those are suspended. Lee Matthews' murderer Donovan Mudley, tries to overturn his parole decision. Organizations and trade unions march in support of the Palestinian people. The Jewish board warns against inflammatory rhetoric. The Auditor General gives an update to Parliament on audit outcomes and ESCOM says we're in stage five now, but we're going to stage six again. All of that over the next hour. 702.
0: Let's walk the talk.
1: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Madeira Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. Good to be with you today. Uh, lots of stories that we are following for you today. We are going to give you an update on what's happening at the Impala Platinum Mine following that tragic incident in which 11 people died. Families are now uh, at the mortuary identifying the bodies of their loved ones. We'll speak to Tabiso Ogoba, EWN reporter, who is there. And then a very interesting report released by Open Secrets today, an investigation revealing, uh, exposing a military squad allegedly responsible for acts of torture and murder. The evidence implicating at least four units of the SANDF in crimes. We'll speak to Henny van Furen, the director of Open Secrets, about that. So all of that coming up on the show today. But we do start with some breaking news. The July unrest instigator, Mdumiseni Zuma, has been sentenced in the Pietermaritzburg Magistrates Court today, convicted for contravening the riotous assembly. Please act in uh, September. So we had that conviction in September. Now we have a sentencing. This is to do with the July unrest, of course, the fact that he incited people to commit public violence at the height of those riots in KZN and Gauteng. He posted a video of himself inside a mall um, and he invited people to come along and loot uh, should it be open for business the next day. And then a few hours later, the mall was looted and set alight. So now he's been convicted. He's been sentenced to 12 years in prison. Two of those are suspended. Have a listen to what happened in that courtroom a bit earlier. The sound is courtesy of Newsroom Africa.
2: Of court one, we accused the accused is sentenced to 10 years imprisonment. However, two years of two years imprisonment of. Let me try that again. Ten years imprisonment of which two years imprisonment is suspended for a period of five years on condition that the accused is not again convicted of contravening section 17 of the riotous assemblies act 17 of 1956 which is committed during the period of suspension.
3: Eu para ser gerônica o servaiona e se encandou o igreja dela em o que eu não consigo o jonesa e em lápo,
2: Count two, the accused is sentenced to undergo six years imprisonment. In terms of the provisions of section 280, subsection two of Act 31 of, of 1977. The court orders that two years imprisonment in respect of count two be served concurrently with the sentence in count one. In total, therefore, Mr. Zuma, it is a sentence of 12 years imprisonment.
1: So that is sentencing being handed down there to the July unrest instigator, Mdumiseni Zuma, uh, who has been sentenced to 12 years in prison for the incitement of violence. A very interesting tweet from Julius Malema in response to this, effectively saying, well, he didn't get very good legal representation. So he says that he has spoken to his KwaZulu-Natal provincial chairperson to get the facts and how we can be of assistance. What are your thoughts on that do you think that this is a a matter of zuma not getting proper legal assistance or legal representation is that how the criminal justice system works in this country if you're able to afford better uh, legal representation you have a different experience of it or is this merely a case of the courts actually working in this instance because there is a video of mdumiseni zuma which he made of himself inside a mall inviting people to loot And the next day, it was looted. So what are your thoughts on that? What is your response, uh, sentencing being handed down in that matter?
0: 702, the Midday Report, Monday to Friday,
1: 12 to 1 p.m. Well, let's go to that story which we covered extensively yesterday about that tragic incident at the Impala Platinum Mine in Rustenburg, which claimed the lives of 11 people. We heard yesterday more than 80 people were injured in that incident. Um, and uh, Tabiso Goba, EWN reporter, is there for us now. Family members are identifying the bodies of their loved ones. Tabiso, good afternoon to you. Thank you for, for your time. Uh, tell us about what's happening there today.
4: Um, good afternoon, Mandy. We, we are at the Majakanink funeral you know, parlor um, in Brits, in the Northwest. So this is where some of the, the bodies of the deceased minors um, are being kept. Um, and I can tell you, Mandy, that um, it's quite a very, um, as you can imagine, a very strong mood. Um, much of the families here are women. They're clad, obviously, in blankets and uh, in dogs, obviously, in mourning period. Um, they have identified, um, you know, their loved ones, which are believed to obviously be their husbands. And, um, yeah, so currently, Um, unfortunately, Mandy, we haven't been able to speak to any of their families. And they've politely declined to speak to me, just saying that they're still in the mourning period. But, um, as I said, Mandy, they started identifying their loved ones here at the Machakanang, you know, Pala.
1: And in terms of uh, what kind of support they're getting from Impala Platinum, we did see the CEO and the chairperson uh, holding a press conference yesterday. We have also seen unions getting involved. What kind of support is there?
4: Mm. Yes. Um, As I I said, um, yesterday there was a press briefing where the CEO, Nicole Muller, CEO of Impala Platinum Mines, said that the families will be supported um, financially with the burial cost. And then obviously, because this is obviously a work-related incident, there will obviously be investigations about obviously compensation for those work-related incidents. Obviously, the the unions are also coming into play. Um, We have been speaking to unions, Mandy and NUM. Um, they've just been struggling to get um, the name of the, the names of the deceased persons just to obviously uh, know which union they belong to. but obviously we understand that it's still ongoing. They are still um, in consultations with the man and with the department to just actually find out the deceased which union do they belong to and what, how they can assist them going further.
1: Tobiso, thank you very much. Tobiso Goba, EWN reporter, speaking to us there from uh, that mortuary where the family members are at the moment. Uh, obviously, the family not, relatives not speaking at this point um, as they deal with that process.
0: 702. 702. Mandy Wiener.
1: Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. Well, let's go to the Senzo yiwa trial, the trial within a trial carrying on today. Uh, a lot of that being disrupted earlier this week by that, uh, the scuffle, the, the, the fist fight, the punch-up, the fracas. Uh, but now we are seeing the investigating officer giving evidence, Ghmotsu Modise, EWN reporter in court for us. Ghmotsu, good afternoon to you. What's happening there today? Good afternoon,
5: good afternoon Mandy. So, yes, uh, Brigadier Bongani as the lead investigator in this trial, back on the witness stand. And the state has actually completed the examination in chief. Um, some of the details that have come up, really, in the latter part of the examination was around the allegations of assault by Bongani uh, uh, and Gandhi. Against Bogani Kilinda And uh, Kilinda has really denied all of those allegations. And he says that he even has an official police diary that can prove where exactly he was on the days that, that Bogani Gininda places him at those spots where he said he was assaulted. And so the court then established that there is an official diary and it's been um, established and the calls at um, uh, Kilinda to really bring that diary to court. So court has actually adjourned for now, Mandy. And the state has been afforded some time until 2 p.m. to prepare uh, that official diary so that it can be um, scrutinized and really studied by the defense to find out where that was. We heard the defenses uh Landon on behalf of the first two accused, actually trying to get a performance until tomorrow, but Judge Ratamu kwa Keng was not having any of it. He said, not a chance, not in a crime in South Africa, where this man, a busy brigadier, to come spend uh, so much time in court, so we're
1: back in court at 2pm today to hear the rest of that testimony. Komoto, thank you for that update. Komoto Modise, EWN reporter, giving us an update there on the Senzo Mchima trial.
0: 7:02. The midday report with Mandy Weena. Let's walk the talk.
1: Let's stay in the courts now because Lee Matthews' murderer Donovan Moodley, is back in court today. Why, you ask? Well, considering the fact that Matthews was kidnapped and killed in 2004. So that is nearly 20 years ago. Donovan Mudley is now trying to overturn a parole decision. Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter, following this one for us. Bernadette, good afternoon to you. What application has Donovan Moodley brought here?
6: Right. So essentially last year, January, he made an application for parole and it was unsuccessful. And he then turned to the courts and was successful in getting the courts to order that they reconvene that parole hearing. That parole hearing was reconvened in March of this year. He was again unsuccessful and so he's come back to court now hoping to have the parole board's decision, which was not to recommend him for parole, overturned. Essentially he wants the court to step in and substitute the decision that was taken with the decision um, recommending him for parole and that would then ultimately, if he were successful, go to the um, Justice and Correctional Services Minister, Ronald Lamola, to make the final call because he was sentenced to life and that's how life sentences and
1: parole work uh, Bernadette we know that Rob Matthews Lee Matthews' father was in the media recently because he was at the Oscar mm. Pistorius um, parole hearing representing the uh, Steenkamp family um, is he in court today Is there have they said anything
6: the, the Matthews family um so he is not physically personally in court today, but he has been granted permission or leave from the court to um to be added to the case essentially so that he can have a voice in the proceedings today and he is represented legally um by Tanya Kun, who also represents, um, as you'll know, we were talking about the Oscar case, but also represents um, Reba Stenkamp's mother. June Sternkamp and like I say he is represented in court today and um, Advocate Katil Hoffmeyer will be making represent- representations at least on his behalf.
1: Bernadette, thank you very much. Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter, giving us uh, the latest on that uh, development there almost uh, 20 years after uh, Lee Matthews was killed. Donovan Woodley back in court today trying to overturn that parole decision.
0: What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Mandy, um,
4: just a small question. Um, this sentence passed on for this instigator of the July unrest, and one of many that's still, and one of many. What has happened to Duduzeli Zuma, Jacob Zuma's daughter? And she was very, very vocal on Twitter and other social media outlets to instigate violence and burning things, and nothing has ever been done. So, you know, it just seems to me that uh, uh, certain people are protected. And um, yeah, uh, it's just really, it's just really sad to see whether the MPA or somebody's not doing their job here properly. Stephen. Good afternoon,
7: Mandy. We 9702 listeners. This is somebody from the South. Mm. 12 years imprisonment for this Zuma guy for instigating looting, Azkale, Azkale, they used to say Azkale, we lost the jobs because of these people, Azkale man. now go for the big heads, for the main instigators, Azkale,
1: Azkale, Azkale Ramaphosa, Azkale. Let's go, let's go, let's get them if they're instigating violence, absolutely. Uh, so that's the criminal justice system working and getting uh, a conviction and sentencing but then you ask about Duduzile Zuma who of course is former President Jacob Zuma's daughter who has not been charged as far as I know for for instigating uh, violence despite the, the, the tweets um, ahead of the July unrest. So in some cases it works, in some cases it does not work um, but in this instance I would argue that it has. However, Julius Malema believes it has not. He believes that uh, Zuma in this matter did not get proper legal representation, uh, Mdumiseni Zuma. So I'd love to hear your view. Do you think that the system has worked in this instance?
6: 702
0: The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener Let's walk the talk
1: Various organizations, uh, trade unions, Qasatu, Safdu, uh, trade union federations, that is, political parties joining the International Day of Solidarity with the Palestinian people today, protesting in solidarity with uh, the Palestinians. A march taking place today. Uh, it uh, started at the Mary Fitzgerald Square in Newtown, proceeding to the Mandela Bridge and the Constitutional Hill in Bramfontein. NUMSA also urging its members to participate today. Alpha EWN reporter following that for us. Alpha, good afternoon to you. Tell us what's happening there.
8: Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, yes, we we, we, we are on the Mandela Bridge currently, um, hundreds of people, pro Palestine protesters are marching to the Constitutional Hill in Johannesburg and they started their march at the Mary Gerald Square. And of course it's to show solidarity for Palestinian people in Gaza. As we know, Mandy, uh, you know, over thirteen thousand people have died in Gaza since um, Israel retaliated on Hamas' surprise attack. And this is according, of course, to uh, 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 Palestinian uh, uh, health officials. And, Mandy, uh, what the people here are saying is that it's time that um, Israel ends what they've referred to as uh, genocide against Palestinian people in Gaza. In fact, they are saying that uh, should uh, they not cease fire, you know, uh, everyone will end up being wiped out on the Gaza Strip. So let's take a listen to what some of the protesters who are here had to say about um today's uh, event uh ma'am please explain
7: to me why you're here to protest
8: today. yes well um for today and i've been doing it for many many years but what's happening right now is absolute genocide just open murder that's what israel is doing to the palestinians and we as just human beings cannot allow this to continue and we count on South Africa to stand up and help us fight this genocide. What's, what, why is
7: today's so We are here to stand in solidarity
8: with the Palestinian people. It's International Day of Solidarity, and we feel a duty to be here. We brought three sprinters, that's about 70 people, to join this march from Pochestrom. Um There are 21 organizations united in Palestine solidarity in Pochastrum, and we've been conducting uh, many. Uh, protests as well as we've had a big march and in support of the people and we implement
1: full D D S alpha what kind of uh, support are we seeing there today and and what kinds of statements are being made in light of the fact that the south african jewish board of deputies is warning against inflammatory rhetoric or incitement to hatred
8: well, there's hundreds of people here, and of course, the ANC is here to pledge their support. I'm seeing also people in EFF, Regalia, several other, several other political parties, smaller political parties are also here, uh, and also uh, trade union federations. And we've heard some of the pro-Palestinian people actually refusing to uh, give uh, ANC Secretary-General Sigil Mbalula the mic today. They are saying that they fear that he might start grandstanding and making today's protest about uh, South Africans or uh, the ANC and not actually uh, for solidarity for Palestinian people. So people here today just want to show their support to Palestinian people and they've refused for political leaders to uh, um, address the pro-Palestinian supporters or protesters who are here today. So it's an interesting sight to see actually you know a, a person like feeling balula not being allowed to speak is actually just marching with the rest of the people uh, but the people who are leading this protest today the people who've been speaking all along is uh, you know different civil society organisations that are that are uh, still representing or pledging their support to palestinian people and they've basically referred to the, um, what's happening uh, between gaza and israel uh, or Hamas and israel as apartheid against people in 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 palestine right. so Uh, The political leaders have not been speaking at all today.
1: Alpha, thank you very much. Alpha Ramashwana, EWN reporter, following that march uh, on the Nelson Mandela Bridge at the moment and then heading to uh, Conn Hill in Bromfontein. Well, as I mentioned, the South African Jewish Board of Deputies has responded to that, saying that while they have no problem with people exercising their right to demonstrate, they hope that today's march will be free of inflammatory rhetoric and incitement to hatred against the Jewish community. David Sachs is Associate Director at the SA Jewish. Board of Deputies, David. Good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. What are your concerns around a march such as the one we're seeing today?
9: Uh, it what's been happening in Cape Town and uh, Johannesburg. A number of the marches have uh, really uh, a lot of the, a lot of the, what has been said by the speakers has crossed the line into uh, um, outright incitement to certainly to hatred and uh, arguably to violence against. Uh, Jewish people and Jewish institutions, including specifically and explicitly against Jewish schools. Uh, And that really does cross the line. It's an attack uh, on Jewish rights to safety and equality, but it's also an attack on uh, democracy itself in South Africa. And I I don't know what happened at the march today. Hopefully uh, we didn't see that kind of um, dangerous and inflammatory rhetoric.
1: Uh, as you say, though, that um, you do support or have no problem, at least, with people exercising their right to demonstrate. Though your concern really is about the kind of language that is used uh, at marches, such as as this one.
9: Yes, yes, sure. Um, it would be nice, of course, to see um, um, marches from the other side. Um, uh, the, the rights, uh, the rights of people to, uh, to march uh, and demonstrate. In support of Israel, uh, to be respected as well, um, and then there have been a number of, uh, at least two uh, events, pro-Israel events, have been have had to be about have, have been broken up. One has been broken up, and one had to be cancelled because of uh, violence and intimidation. But yes, of course, in principle, we, you know, democracy, uh, that's it's sine qua non that you people are allowed to demonstrate for any cause they like.
1: Uh, and just lastly, you say in your statement, we are surprised not to see any call being made for the immediate release of hostages held by uh, Hamas.
9: Yes, uh, I think that that points to the, the motivations. It has to be said for many of the marches that are taking place. You, you will, you won't. The release of the hostages is an absolute non. Uh, it's, it's, it's non-negotiable before any kind, any uh, cease, uh, ceasefire and peace uh, can be implemented. And yet, uh, in none of the marches we've seen, have there been calls for the the release mm-hmm. of these people who were criminally taken and held uh, held as hostages as as, as for blackmailing purposes, uh, for ne- as negotiating tools in Gaza. So, right. uh, yeah, the absence of that from this today's program. Is quite
1: telling, I think. David Sachs, Associate Director at the SA Jewish Board of Deputies, responding there to uh, the march taking place today. And as you heard from Alpha Ramashwana, our reporter at the march today, uh, giving an update there on that protest taking place and bringing you the audio of some people attending uh, that protest today as well, participating in the International Day of Solidarity with the people of Palestine.
0: What's up, Mandy? On 072 702 1702.
4: Uh, how's it, Mandy? So, with regards to the sentencing of this chap that uh, incited violence, I think it's 100% the best thing that could have happened. They need to seriously um, make an example of these people who decide to to incite violence and cause destruction of uh, property and uh, whatever it may be. It's, it's about time that somebody comes ho- down hard on them and sentences them with an iron fist. So, I'm glad it's happened, and it must teach them a lesson. These people who decide to try and destroy our country must go to jail for a very long time. Thanks, Mandy.
3: <laughs> you would think uh, the other Zuma that he was protesting, that this second Zuma was, on whose behalf the second Zuma was protesting, would have gotten the guy... Super legal advice and legal representation, like the one he has, that's kept him out of jail for so long. How come he didn't provide this new Zuma, who caused chaos, in his name or on his behalf? Why didn't he get him good legal advice? Julius, what I throw the Zumas to sort themselves out. <laughs> this
1: country, you just like you just have to laugh. Sometimes the things that happen because it's, it's so true, right? Zuma's managed to keep himself uh, uh, on his Stalingrad plan out of jail for so long. Why couldn't he help this guy? Julius Malema is now saying he didn't get proper legal representation. What's up,
0: Mandy? On 0727021702. 702.
7: Hi. Um, I think uh, the sentencing of Dumzane Zuma she serve as a lesson to everyone, um, because I think people took this thing of Zuma having been arrested too far, and yet now they are all alone to pay the price. I think it serves as a lesson to everyone. Uh, it's, it's, it's bad that uh, he finds himself in this mess, but it should serve as a lesson to many of us. Thanks, here. I mean, yeah, this gives us hope that this country is going to the right direction. I think those who did wrong, they need to be punished. And uh, yeah, I think it's a fair uh, a sentence. So he must go to jail and then uh, I, will, I, will, I will kill for Zuma's slogan.
1: Thank you very much uh, for that response to the breaking news story, the July 2021 unrest instigator Mdumiseni Zuma being given a 12-year sentence, prison sentence, two years of which are suspended. So it's an effective 10-year prison sentence. Uh, And look this is the criminal justice system working there are instances where the criminal justice system does work, we always look at it and go oh, this thing's broken, nothing works um, the wheels of justice don't turn and then something like this happens which goes to show that, that it does work in instances and it sends a strong message to people who instigate violence and who go out and make comments on social media, who post videos to their social media accounts and you ask the question about Duduzila Zuma and why she hasn't been charged uh, that I do not know why um, has not happened but I think this does send a strong message that if you're going to instigate violence and you're going to to make a joke out of law enforcement in this country the law will catch up with you
0: 702 702 Mandy Weiner weekdays 12 to 1 p.m.
1: And on the other hand, an Open Secrets uh, exclusive investigation published today revealing uh, exposing a military squad allegedly responsible for acts of torture and murder, the evidence implicating at least four units of the SANDF in crimes dating back to 2019. It's been a a three-part series that's been published by Open Secrets, having a look at the South African National Defence Force. It's called a Russian Dole investigation. Let's find out more about this with Henny van Furen who is the Director of Open Secrets. Henny, good afternoon to you. Thanks very much for your time. Um, firstly, take us through the entire investigation and what you've actually been looking at here.
10: Thanks, Mandy. Good afternoon to you and afternoon to the listeners. You know, we, we started an investigation a couple of months ago and uh, it has moved as new information has come to light and we really were looking initially at understanding what happened when that lady, our vessel, docked Simon's town and almost a year ago was loading weapons on or off, supposedly, uh, a, be- a Russian sanctioned vessel. And while everybody was focused on the vessel at that time, um, we focused on some cars parked next to the, the the dock. And one of the vehicles we were able to identify belonged to special forces, so South Africa's elite fighting unit within the SANDF. Three weeks later, we identified one of the same vehicles, they have been involved in a training operation at the Mall of Africa in late December last year, and at that training exercise, it coincided with the abduction of a wanted member of ISIS, according to the Americans. And as you know, um, the military can't operate in civilian territory without the police or the authorization of Parliament. So if they were, did in fact, abduct someone, that would be a crime, and the operation itself would be a crime. A Hawks officer. Franz Matipa was then ultimately tasked with investigating this matter after being in and out of court. And he was investigating that this year, Lieutenant Colonel Franz Matipa. Matipa, in early August, was out, booked out to go and investigate this matter. He's been trying to get the cell phone records and the tracker details of members of special forces who were alleged to have been involved in the abduction of Matipa and whose car was also seen next to the Lady R vessel. Matipa was assassinated, driving on the N1 highway just outside Hammondskal on the 6th of August, two bullets to the head while he was driving. Clearly, um, it was an assassination by a very, very skilled Marx, Marx person at the time that Matipa was, certainly investigating the SNDF and more specifically, members of the Special Forces.
1: So the latest uh, installment of this now is a military squad allegedly responsible for acts of torture and murder. Tell us about that.
9: Yeah. So, so
10: subsequent so at the time of us then in, in publishing some of these these investigations of ours, Mandy, about two months ago, um, a number of witnesses came forward, and they had a particularly worrying story to tell. And that story was about the involvement of, um, particularly the uh, the SANDF, but uh, pointing also to the involvement of special forces again in um, acts of torture. For instance, what we've been able to st- establish is murder. Um, and these predate all the events I've just described. So we go back, we turn the clock back a bit to late 2019. 18 rifles were stolen from an SANDF in 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 base. According to our sources, one of whom was present uh, at the time that many of these criminal acts took place, and two, two of which corroborated that. We cannot name them because they are vulnerable individuals within the public service They say that what happened at the time is that the Minister of Defense, Nusibiru Mapisa and Makula, had made a statement allegedly that these weapons had to be retrieved by any means necessary. It was reported in the media. And so military police put together a a squad, which they are also required to do, um, to go and investigate this matter if it involved members of the military. However, what we've been able to establish, Manu, is that um, not only the military police, but specifically defense intelligence, We understand with possibly with the okay of some members of the the legal affairs within the SNDF and specifically a squad led by members of special forces went out on the prowl on the streets of South Africa and went to go and hunt down people that were alleged to be involved in the theft of those uh, rifles. And they specifically included civilians. In one instance, one of those individuals we are abducted at a McDonald's late one night in Kempton Park driven back to the Kabatswane military base, which is south of Pretoria, tortured through the night, beaten until they were turn green, literally, as we're told, uh, given waterboarding torture um, and beaten repeatedly. And 3 a.m. the following morning, this person was given one last drink. They didn't want water. They asked for a sip of a beer because they were being tortured in the military police um, bar at Kabatswane uh, uh, base, and they died. The man we know only as a man called Spermandla, and according to our sources, Special Forces said, we'll take the body and we'll bury it at Special Forces headquarters um, at uh, Space Corp, which is about four kilometers away from Kabatswane. So all of this points to a very sure. worrying criminal conspiracy and, of course, crimes that uh, we thought we had last seen happen during the when I was to the literally
1: world. about to say, Henny, it sounds like we're speaking about the 1980s uh, when, when you talk about it like this. W- what has the SANDF uh, or officials said in response very briefly?
10: So we've contacted all the officials who we've implicated in the article, uh, the individuals from within special forces and military police as well as the chief of the SANDF and the and Department of Defense. None of them have responded uh, at the time of the deadline. We continue to investigate this matter, but I think, Mandy, it's not only official responses. There needs to be a political response. This is the president's responsibility. Not only was Matipa a brave cop murdered possibly by members of special forces in the military, but now we talk about murders of civilians or a murder of civilian torture. Um, there are issues here that requires political intervention uh, because certainly nothing suggests that the military itself is keeping its house in order and keeping South Africa safe.
1: Sure. A very important story, Henny. Thank you very much. Henny van Furen, Director of Open Secrets. Go and read that full report. It's detailed. It's lengthy. It is important. It's a huge story. Looking at whether there is a military squad allegedly responsible for acts of torture and murder and looking at this this assassination, a targeted assassination of Lieutenant Colonel Franz Matipa of the Hawks. This is a scary story. It sounds like the 1980s.
0: 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk.
1: Auditor General Takani Maluleke is briefing Parliament today on the audit outcomes of the national and provincial governments for the 2022-23 financial year. She uh, has been saying that for this report, the audit work included a, a site visit, going to have a look at project quality of 112 cases. 82% of the projects had problems, and uh, as you hear, the AG detailing an example where a school in the northwest is being built. There are delays, cost overruns. She explains how the delays and poor quality of work Work and legal disputes have affected the learners who need these services. Have a listen.
11: Our audit work incorporated site visits to inspect progress and to look at the quality of projects. In 112 instances, 82% of the projects we found, there were problems. And these problems were either projects were delayed or there were cost overruns or construction already been completed. And on this slide, we share with you a couple of examples, uh, but our report does detail quite a, quite a lot more examples, not all of them, but a lot more examples, which I would invite the honorable members to read. To give you a sense of the type of things we've, we found, in the Northwest, the Department of Public Works was responsible for a project at Little Primary School. There we found delays, cost overruns, and quality issues. The story goes that the construction of the school commenced in December of 2016 with a planned completion date of January 2020. In September 2020, after spending 12.69 million rand, the contract of this initial contractor was terminated due to poor quality workmanship. And since then, a replacement contractor has still not been appointed and the project has been stopped due to ongoing legal disputes between the department and the first contractor. During our site visit in March 22 and in June 2023, we observed substandard construction work. Walls were collapsing in the same direction, which the quantity surveyors and engineers will tell you means that the walls were simply not strong enough to resist the wind. Significant remedial work will therefore have to be Uh, uh, taken on, with increased costs and further delay in the completion of the school. And as a result, what you have is that despite the initial appropriation of funding and the initial allocation of responsibility to do this, um, the learners that should have been benefiting from this project are not. They still have to contend with overcrowding in their classrooms, which uh, ultimately affects the quality of learning. Um, there are a number of other examples in in the in the in the report, um, and and I do hope that uh, you will find it useful. The impact of what we've seen is that these delays not only increase costs and and result in financial losses at a time when we can least afford it. Um, They they result in um, compromised lived experience of people, learners in overcrowded classrooms, ablution facilities that do not work within schools such that sanitation services are not there and the dignity that should be afforded to learners is not there. Uh, You've got residents that end up drinking unsafe water because the water infrastructure projects have not been uh, completed on time and at the right quality. Um, You've got insufficient road and rail infrastructure for for public and for freight transport. With a review of of housing, um, we've seen in the human settlement sector, uh, there are average delays of 45 months on projects. Um, you've got government buildings that go unattended in terms of maintenance where those projects money is appropriated budgets are spent and yet those projects are delayed by on average 46 months Um, we've also looked at as i said health and education but also at the water sector all this work was done such that we could understand what goes wrong what are the root causes to these problems and what we've come back with remains things we've said before lack of proper needs assessments and feasibility studies and actually sticking to what those studies reveal, Um, lack of coordination amongst the different players within a project, Um, lack of accountability of holding contractors accountable when they don't perform. Um, But we've also seen that there's still an opportunity for improved monitoring and enforcement by the uh, regulatory bodies that are responsible within the infrastructure sphere.
1: The Auditor General Takani Maraleke briefing Parliament on the ordered outcomes of national and provincial governments for the last financial year. That's happening in Parliament at the moment. The other thing that's happening today is the State Security Agency is briefing the Ad Hoc Committee on the General Intelligence Laws Amendment Bill. And that's that new bill that's been tabled in, in Parliament next week. It looks at, at splitting the State Security Agency. We've heard uh, a lot about this over the past few years. Splitting the uh, State Security Agency into a foreign and domestic unit. Broadening requirements for vetting to include ngos and churches as well that's the other thing happening in parliament today
0: 702 the midday report monday to friday 12
1: to 1 pm So, ESCOM has told us that we are now in stage five of load shedding or rolling blackouts. I did see that in the UK uh, yesterday, uh, just as an aside. um, There was an announcement that they are are implementing their own energy-saving program, and they don't use a euphemism like load shedding in the UK. So, uh, anyway, we are in stage five of uh, rolling blackouts, and then stage six will be enforced from 8 o'clock until 5 o'clock tomorrow. Have a listen to the ESCOM spokesperson Person, Daphne Mokwena. Wednesday 29 November 2023, ESCOM would like to announce that due to insufficient generation capacity and the need to further replenish emergency reserves, stage 5 load
3: shedding will be implemented from 5 a.m. today until 8 p.m.
1: thereafter stage 6 load shedding will be implemented from 8 p.m. until 5 a.m. on Thursday. This pattern of implementing stage 5 load shedding from 5am until 8pm and stage 6 load shedding from 8pm until 5am will be repeated daily
3: until Saturday morning. ESCOM will closely monitor the power system and
1: communicate any changes to load shedding should it be required. That's the ESCOM spokesperson, Daphne Mokwena. Well, Professor Samson Mampueli, the head of the Department of Science and Innovation's Energy Secretariat at the South African National Energy Development Institute, uh, sent us this voice note uh, giving us some analysis on this.
7: So what's happening is that um, the, the system is heavily constrained because of the insufficient generation capacity, which basically means that the ESCOM is generating less than the overall demand as things stand and uh, this boils down boils down to the fact that we still have uh, the challenge on the on the coal fleet that is not uh, operating optimally which uh, which talks to the issue of the partial load losses as well as the issues around the breakdowns so the breakdowns are still high the last time i checked they were sitting at about uh, close to 15000 megawatts and ESCOM has also um, scheduled maintenance. Uh, The last time I checked, it was uh, just above um, 5,000 megawatts as well. So all that, the combination of all that leads to the situation that we're facing now. And I see from their statement that uh, they've indicated that and there is um a, a problem with the with the generation reserves as well which basically means that uh, they, they don't have enough reserves on the pumped storage side of things and uh, they might not have enough reserves also on the on the diesel side of things so so but uh, all in all the, ch- the the overall challenge is the failing uh, um, coal fleet that has not necessarily been properly maintained uh, you know in the past uh so what happens is that escom can't uh, properly predict what will happen in terms of the breakdowns uh, but they still need to do uh, or to implement um, uh, their their regular maintenance um so it it it, it boils down to the fact that uh, the 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 aging fleet uh, coal fleet needs to be uh, properly maintained which basically means that they need to to take down some of these units and renew them uh, so that they are reliable when they bring them back to service they can operate reliably so, uh, you know, under regular maintenance. So what is happening now is that uh, the, 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 the the system is not reliable. The maintenance program that S-Commission is embarking on is not yielding much results because uh, in most cases you find that they take down certain units for for repairs uh, and then when they take them back is either a similar unit fails a different component fails within the same unit or another uh, component fails in another unit in another power station or in the same power station so we're having this kind of breakdowns and escom has done uh, a lot of analysis on their power system especially on the generation side to see what is the problem uh, they also determine how much money they need to fix the problem uh, so so government needs to come on board and try and assist them in terms of making funds available maybe through the Minister of electricity for them to be able to deal with the with the maintenance backlog that they have in terms of the december uh, holiday uh, escom has scheduled a as a, a res- they've released the schedule and, and that schedule, unfortunately, is still indicating that we will be moving between stage one and stage three load shedding. If we are lucky, we'll be sitting at stage one. If we're not lucky, we'll be sitting at stage three. But like I indicated before, the system is unpre- highly unpredictable. We, we could still see higher stages of load shedding during December, depending on what happens in terms of the, the breakdowns at, uh, at various power stations. Thank you.
1: Thank you to Professor Samson Mampweli, head of the Department of Science and Innovation's Energy Secretariat at the South African National Energy Development Institute, giving us some analysis on the load-shedding situation in which we find ourselves. What's up, Mandy?
0: On
11: 072 702 1702 Chairman Mandy, that Zuma guy, unfortunately he's not even going to get a uh, Uh, What is that parole that uh, the other Zuma got, that one that was specially made for him? Unfortunately, he's not even going to get that one, that pardon, whatever they call it. Jeez, man, you see what happens now. You go and cause chaos in the name of a person, and here you are, you are alone, 10 years behind bars. Wow, man, that's so sad
1: that parole that was especially made for him um, was is called medical parole. That's what the former president Jacob Zuma was granted um, that medical parole <laughs> that was especially made for him. So um, the July 2021 unrest instigator Dumiseni Zuma given 12 years behind bars, two of which have been suspended. So it's a 10 year sentence. Julius Malema saying he didn't have proper legal representation. So asking his KZN chairperson at the EFF to look into that matter. Uh, well we could see probably what serving half of that Uh, maybe good behavior could be released early but the long and the short of it is that we have a conviction we have a sentencing for somebody who did instigate violence in july and we saw that unrest happening and now there is accountability